Payments is an industry that has an incredibly wide moat. Throughout my career, I've, I've evolved with payments technology. The world of financial services are you know, changing quite quickly. I always knew I was going to start my own company. Welcome to InCheck with FinTech. Welcome everyone to another episode of InCheck with FinTech organized by PCN. My name is Andre van der Westhuizen and on the show we introduce CEOs, founders and executives from the FinTech space exploring their companies, market trends and developments. Today we're joined by Amrit Santharasenan, the founder and CEO of Hyper Exponential, a cutting-edge FinTech startup which began from a kitchen table that's now transforming the world of insurance. Amrit is also the host of the Startup Dads podcast show, where leaders in the field discuss growing a family and a business and the unique challenges faced. Amrit, welcome to the show. Hi, Andre. Thanks very much for having me. Oh, such a pleasure. So, Amrit, you're an actuary and a computer scientist from the UK. You first worked at Catlin and discovered your interest in pricing and then specialized, after which you moved over to TMK. Now, today, you're innovating in insurance and technology, notably where they intersect. So what ignited this interest and developing your path into InsurTech? Yeah, it's a great question. A great question. One that, you know, as a startup founder, you often enjoy telling your story. So I suppose, you know, it's worth just saying that I, I, I come from a software engineering background. I often make the joke that I was one of those few idiots who kind of graduated around the time of the dot-com bust and thought it would be a bad idea to be a software engineer uh, and a better idea to go and be an actuary, go and work in finance. So I'm tr clearly I'm trying to make up for that now. So, you know, before all of the insurance, I started, you know, I studied software engineering at university. And, you know, I think when you study that, that sort of thing, you know, people often talk about, you know, you can take the um, person away from the computer science, but you can't take the computer, computer science away from the person. So, you know, that kind <laughs> Indeed, of yeah. grows, yeah, it grows a kind of... Um, engineering mindset in you that never leaves you. Uh, uh, so as a result, you know, I had a really great run uh, as an actuary working as a mathematical modeler in the insurance sector um, and really enjoyed my job. But I always had a kind of technical, technological perspective on how to use kind of the tools that I was making. You know, I've grown up in the digital era. Everything we've ever done uh, uh, has been using, you know, spreadsheets and other related technology. Uh, so I always, I always naturally gravitated towards using them to the kind of stretching them to the, the, the limits of their uh, abilities to do my job. Um, mm -hmm. Natural and, you know, innovator, so, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah, I'd like to I'd like to think so. You know, I think about what would I tell my daughter? You know, what do I do? I'd hope to say that, you know, I like to make things. That's what I do. Um, yes. and, and I think, you know, as a result, you know, the world becoming more technologically, technologically focused, the world becoming more data driven played right into my hands. And, you know, I, you know, the story of HX, how I ended up, you know, setting up an insurtech is uh, I joined a company, TMK, Tokyo Marine Kiln. It's the kind of commercial insurance arm of one of the biggest uh, uh, insurers in the world. Not very well known in the Western world, but uh, Tokyo Marine is a Japanese mega insurer, you know, uh, very, very large, you, you know, knocking mm -hmm. on a $100 billion balance sheet. Um, yeah, so big, big company. Ended up working there. Uh, and actually ended up joining a company that was very large, very well established, but wasn't prepared for this data revolution. And one of my jobs was to build a 21st century analytics, you know, uh, mathematical modeling function. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can see where this goes, right? I had this remit. Yes. I had the background mm. in technology. 
a really great run as a career as an actor and thought, wow, well, I can go and build. Uh, you know, there must be some technology out there to help me do my job better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got no legacy. This is a company that's, you know, new to this, but very well established. So I've got the money, I've got the backing, uh, and I've got the ability to do this. Uh, and the reason that I moved into InsureTech and that HX exists is, despite this market being, you know, uh, various different measures, but a $700 billion, uh, uh, that's how much the premium is written in this insurance market. There's no tools. There were no tools uh, mm-hmm. for the job. Uh, so, you know, they call it, what's that? The frustration-driven development is a very good sign for mm. a startup founder. Uh, yes, that was yes. <laughs> how, that, That's how it happened. Yeah, so it's sort of facing the, the generational legacy issues, right? That's now just sort of cropping up with digital, digitalization. So all these companies having to reform and transform and, and evolve along with technology to remain competitive, consumer-centric, consumer-centric, um, those are important points. And as an innovate, natural innovator, I think you saw the gap where there was space needed for this technological evolution, right? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, Andre. I think, you know, one of the things that every single, I, I think, you know, I talk about this a lot with our clients and, uh, and investors, is that every single company is writing on their kind of websites, their board mandates, whatever they tell, wherever they speak to anyone, all their stakeholders, is that data and technology is going to drive, you know, this digitization is going to drive mm. the, the future mm. of their businesses. Uh, but actually, you know, lots of them don't have the tools to do this. Uh, they exactly. don't have the expertise or the tools to do this. And you're, you're absolutely right. Mm. There is a very, very clear opportunity. And it was, ve- it was very clear to us. I mean, I often say I was building the tools that I wish I had, right? That was exactly. the, the, yes. That yes. Was the goal. Mm-hmm. So then we can define what an insurtech is from that, right? So it's something that optimizes requirements for insurance and then technology is engaged with in a user-centric way. Do you agree with that? What do you think about that? Yeah, it's, it's, that's a really, it's a, it's a great, uh, it's not what I get asked about, what is an InsureTech? Because I think actually, if you look at the world right now, easily the probably the biggest InsureTech uh, success story is probably Lemonade, mm. right? If you hear Lemonade yes, floated yes. in the New York Stock Exchange, amazing, incredible valuation, incredible multiple, you know, just heroic, uh, uh, an amazing story, right? Uh, all mm, all mm. over. And, you, you know, you, and, but if you look at that, the bulk of their operations are actually more conventional insurance operations uh you know they 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 collect premiums and they pay out claims um mm. so i think you know in my mind and they're very clearly defined as an insure tech the market values them as such so in my mind i mm. think an insure tech i think what you've said there you know is something that optimizes the requirements for insurance using technology huge heavy focus on on users i'd say that's a really good definition i i think the one thing i'd say is you know in this day and age anything where technology is used to revolutionize accelerate kind of um a transforming industry gets the tech kind of strapped on to the industry mm, so you know mm. you've got pet tech you've got baby tech i've got uh, you know <laughs> my you know there's baby tech there's there's ed tech um oh, in uh, an so increasingly mind, I, digital world everything needs to be tech right <laughs> well exactly exactly that so so in my mind i think in, in short tech really is the use of technology anywhere uh, along the insurance value chain just to to make it an order of magnitude to level it up to make it an order of magnitude better mm-hmm. so the idea for hyper exponential was born out of your frustration with the software available to help businesses collect and then model the data to make decisions what what were these challenges and you've covered the frustrations and why you made the software but how can businesses use this data and how are they losing us? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. So I think the first thing that comes to my mind is the insurance sector has just hugely lagged 
You know, I come from the insurance. I'm a proud, mm. you know, proud, great career in insurance, but it's hugely lagged many of its peers in the financial sector when it comes to the use of technology uh, to, to do things better. Um, and quite frankly, just to get, as you rightly say, to give a better experience to its customers. Um, and I think the biggest manifestation that we've had uh, you know, I worked in the, se- the in the commercial insurance sector. So, you know, I always used to joke when I was younger and tried to impress my friends. And, you know, telling someone you work in insurance is not a way to impress your friends. Right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the sort of things that we used to do, you know, that, that our clients do is they insure SpaceX. Yeah. They insure mm. Tesla. They wow. insure, uh, you know, the nuclear power plants around the world, fleets of airlines. You know, my favorite, you know, if there are any soccer football fans on this is, you know, we had mm. to insure the Valencian football team, uh, if it got relegated, it would lose its TV rights. I, I'm sure I dine out on that on every podcast. I'm sorry if anyone's listened to multiple. <laughs> that multiple sounds that. so enormously complicated. Not just uh, SpaceX and all the rest, but even... <laughs> <laughs> all of it, yeah, is, you know, the, the risks themselves are very complex. But what that actually means is that the models that you build... I know this is a funny thing, and it's one of the clear realizations I had, is that when you have very complex risks... The models themselves can't be complex because the number of data uh, data points that are valuable and useful is very uncertain. And the risks themselves are very uncertain. What matters a huge amount more is agility. What matters okay. a huge amount more is your ability to respond to changes in the market, to new data sets, to new insights, innovations, new conversations, quite frankly, you're having. You know, mm, if you're insuring mm. SpaceX, you get different data every month from them, yeah. right, on their rocket yeah. launches. It's not like insuring mm. cars where, you know, we have a really good understanding. In the UK, you know, there are 30... 30, 40 million cars, you know, uh, and, you know, you can have a good idea of how many of them are going to crash. So we know the data sets we need to use. Um, So the key realization, the key challenge that we are facing is a lack of agility. And, you know, technology projects in insurance have historically been seen as big, large scale, like elephantine um, deployments where you bring in a team of engineers, business analysts, project Mm -hmm. managers, Mm -hmm. and you deliver, you know, you want to make you transform your your analytical models into a website or into a a modern technology stack. Well, you do that over 12 months or 18 months. That's not good enough for for the sorts of risks that we were insuring, right? We wanted to get that time down Mm -hmm. to from months Mm -hmm. down to days, right? And in some cases using our platform, it's hours. People are making changes on an hourly basis. Um, So, you know, that was the big, big challenge we said is a lack of agility, um, another challenge that came to mind was a lack of ownership. So when you have these very large projects, the, you put, you're putting the power, uh, you're putting the responsibility in the hands of a third party. So you're hiring a, a team of engineers in to build you your models. But actually, you know, in the old days, my actuaries and, and the business people, the trade, the underwriters, who are the people who sell the insurance risks uh, in, in, in commercial insurance, the way they work was they build these models in spreadsheets. Right. So the old day was an underwriter <laughs> sitting next to an actuary, building a model in a yeah. spreadsheet, delivering it in an afternoon. And then you tell these people who are trying to sell, you know, millions or hundreds of millions of dollars of insurance premium, just come back in 18 months and your website will be ready. Right. Just, it didn't work. We needed to put the power yeah. back in the hands, the power back in the hands of the actual practitioners. So that self-service aspect. And, you know, Mm. our realization was that by using open source technology, by exposing open source technology, the same technology, you know, Python, JavaScript, you know, these sorts of languages, the same technology that the world's Mm. leading uh, uh, engineering firms and and data firms are using, we could put the power back in the hands uh, of our clients. So that agility and ownership, these things were really things that we wanted to, uh, to, to enable with our platform. For sure. And this is, you know, within an increasingly data driven and technological world, right, where formerly siloed or, or disconnected services are now beginning to cross over and link. So with your experience in insurance, so, you know, 
thinking about something like super apps, which is, you know, very forward thinking where mm. all of these services are sort of services are aggregated into one place. Do you think that's a conceivable future or do you think, what do you think? Yeah, it's a great, again, a really important point. And I think one of the things that we see from our clients increasingly is how we integrate in part, in, mm. into part of the ecosystem, into the ecosystem mm. of technology. Because as you said earlier, everything's becoming technological. Everything's becoming, you know, quotes, digital. Um, in my mind, the biggest uh, requirement for a platform maker like ours, because you're absolutely right, we've, we're building a platform, is one that is seamlessly integratable and flexible into the, the daily lives and workflows of our clients. Yes. Um, and I think, mm. you know, as you've just said there, you know, the disconnected services in the past, you know, there were broadly two different frameworks. You know, you would um, buy a monolithic application from a huge vendor, you know, uh, mm. IBM, mm. Uh, you know, in the modern day with Salesforce is the prime example, the master of a cloud kind of every, you know, they've got a tool for everything you need. Yes, right? yes, indeed. Um, you, know, <laughs> you know, there was broadly that framework or you had, as you rightly said, completely disconnected individual tools, you know, 100 tools uh, um, uh, to do the job. And every team had their own set of tooling and, you know, uh, every team within a company would have their own set of tools and systems. And, you know, you, you would see a pretty horrific exchange of random files, you know, spreadsheets, emails, Word documents was the way data was shared. Mm. But as you rightly say, you know, I, I was listening to a podcast this morning on the uh, on APIs, you know, talking about how, you know, five years ago, the API revolution was, you know, a little bit, probably a little bit more uh, vision than reality. But in this day and age, you know, everything needs to be connected. It needs to be seamlessly engineered together. Um, yes, and it's we're all very about user experience, Russ. A hundred percent, exactly. You've mm. got to work backwards from that. You've got to not mm. work forwards from the technology. You've got to think, and, you know, you, you touched on super apps and, and those sorts of things. And you can see the value they add is that, you know, if you're using a super app, you know, if you're using a, uh, you know, I think of the canonical banking super app in the UK as Revolut, right? And mm. you think about mm. use their application, you've got everything in one place and you don't think about it, right? Yes, you know, yes. You know, and it, it's just interesting, that, that perspective. Mm. Yeah, no, and it caters to to the, the problem of app exhaustion, where there's an app for the loyalty program, there's an app for banking, there's an app for this, app for that. I think that the way of aggregating services is going to be the way these services are going to be delivered in, in the future. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, uh, I, as someone who's running, uh, who provides a very, very uh, breast of breed, plug-inable ecosystem approach, I, mm. I have to think, it's my job to think deeply about bundling versus unbundling and where bundling mm. makes sense and where bundle, mm. uh, unbundling doesn't make sense. Because it's easy for me to say, you know what, we're going to just be fantastic at analytics, fantastic at pricing. But as you said, if we're another app, I mean, it doesn't quite, it doesn't resolve. We're an enterprise technology company, right? So our clients mm. Mm. are some of the largest insurers in the world. But quite frankly, you know, I hear from them that they're, they're that the people who are selling the these doing the trading of these very large risks they don't want to open 17 tools no ways yeah, yeah it's just, they just, don't it want just to do maximizes it. and exponentially increases the risks if you're using so many tools with so many possible cracks where things could fall through i can't see how that's feasible for any company working with such high risks it's not and yeah as you rightly said you know you have to think this is one of those really interesting things where i think about my life you know i, I the way i have to put it is that i used to be you know michael and i my co-founder and i we used to be our mm. users right mm. so we were the user mm. of the software and now we're the makers of the software and i think you know I, I think really deeply about this because i remember firsthand the frustration myself 
right? Yeah. This, like, yeah. I, like I said to you at the beginning of the show, I remember yeah. the fir- firsthand what it was like to have to deal with having all of these rubbishy tools that didn't connect to each other. And, you know, in the yeah. end, the lowest common denominator is a spreadsheet. You download all the files from 17 different places. You mash it into a single spreadsheet. <laughs> um, but that's not a long-term scalable solution. And, you know, that's not no. what, that, as you said, you know, you're thinking about the user experience. That's not what I, I want. I, that's not what I want our users to feel. So, yeah, I think it's really, really important, um, you know, and, and uh, quite frankly, one of the key things that that's uh, allowed us to do, you know, w- w- you know, often one of the things we talk about is using our knowledge and experience of a very, uh, a quite a specialized sector. It's not a small sector, but it's very specialized, the the commercial and specialty insurance. We use our knowledge of what our clients want to build a wedge, right, to build a wedge mm. in that sector and actually try and use that to then move through the rest of the insurance market. Berlin, we're here and ready for your hiring needs. After some short time considering it, we've decided to set up business in Germany, meaning we can be closer to clients and allow room for new business. We're set up and ready to help find your ideal candidates, help build teams, and offer up media services. People create networks. Yes, and and, and what what exactly is a wedge? I, I found a little definition here, and it's something that occurs in trading or technical analysis when trend lines drawn above and below a price series converge into an arrow shape. So think of candlesticks and lines above and below pointing upwards, hopefully. Is is that sort of how your, your software displays or, or sort of oh, delivers the service, right? Is, is that yeah, what... <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. So I think you are describing one of the many wedges that our, our software would, would draw. When I'm talking about a wedge, I'm thinking of a strategic wedge. So mm. the, way I, the way I'm talking about this is it's just like a point of insertion into a market. So if you look at the insurance market, really the way I think about a wedge, so as you say, you know, a wedge is something that grows it's, from one side, it's a point and it mm. grows to a, a much larger sector. So the mm. way I think about this is the insurance market is huge. Right. And our long term vision is to be the analytics backbone, the analytics platform of the insurance value chain. And, and who knows where it goes beyond that. Right. But in mm, my, my mm. mind, the, the way that we're doing that is by serving a very complex, heterogeneous um, uh, section of the market, which is very small. It, it's almost a point in, in, in that market. And I, I know it sounds wild to say seven hundred billion dollars is a point. But you know, <laughs> this, the, the insurance sector is six trillion. The, the, the mm. whole insurance sector is six trillion dollars globally. You know, our goal is to find that mm. that real point there, ser- serve it really well and use that. Mm. You know, our clients are already pulling us in so many different directions. Um, so that's what we mean by a wedge. It's a strategic wedge, a point which can grow into a much, much larger uh, 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 opportunity. Yeah. And that's also based off the, the from being a user of software to a maker of software and how that leads to the rise of software as a service and late adopters. So your company delivers a white label solution, right? And an insurer comes to you and you essentially evolve them into the new data-driven age. So the late adopter could benefit more from your bespoke service than let's say someone that built it from the ground up. Yeah, so uh, that you hit the nail on the head. So I, I, you know, and it's probably when you talk about SaaS and and customization, it's always a very thorny subject. So the way we mm. describe what we do is we provide a platform, and I think you're absolutely right. I think you, you, what, what you've touched on there that that you know, if you look at the world's leading fintech companies, I think you see them very clearly as platforms. That you know, I, I was listening to a fantastic uh, podcast uh, about Facebook. 
and you know when they took investment from Bill Gates and he's like a platform is where the value generated by the you know everyone on that platform far exceeds what it would have been without the platform mm. right I'm mm. probably getting the paraphrasing slightly wrong but you know for me what I think a little bit about is how can we provide value to people who who, who try and build this themselves you know if you and this is the, the mm. one of the realizations again it takes me back to that realization I had when I was working in industry that if you're trying to build software as an insurance company do you know who builds software technology firms yes <laughs> yeah. so if you're an insurance company and you're trying to build software yeah you should be really aware that there within your business there is a, mm. some uh, there is something trying to be a technology firm uh, yeah you might run into an issue <laughs> you might exactly and you know i think if you look at like i think you've you've hit the nail on the head you look at companies like uh, um uh, lemonade they're absolutely te technology firms in huge parts of what they do because from day one they built things using technology whereas we look mm. at some of the mm. incumbents you know, they don't have the mindset or or the culture or 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 the skills in house to build the platform from ground up. And you know, for us, we want to be exactly that. The accumulated value of what everyone's doing on our platform is far greater than if they were to do it individually themselves. Mm, mm. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, we uh, we can provide huge amounts of value. I, I, I'd I'd say we provide value to our clients in very two distinct ways. I think for new newcomers to market who want to move really fast. We allow them to mm. focus on things that really, really matter and so yeah. that they can move even faster. And then mm. I think, you know, the whole value of, I think, our, our, our service is, you know, is to allow people to focus on things that matter. But then if you think for the incumbents or the late adopters, well, then they don't have to go and hire a huge software team. Right. Exactly. Uh, it's in the same yes. way. It's like, mm. you know, it's the same way that Amazon provide the value. It's like, you, you know what, you could go and try and build all this technology in the cloud yourself or you could go use AWS. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who's yeah, going to do a better a, job? Just pay a fee and and carry on and do your business. Yeah. Yeah, and get Jeff Bezos's engineers, Amazon's engineers, to build it for you. Right. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good strategy, and for most, yeah. for many many people. For sure, you know you're getting top notch service then, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. Let me also just grab a, a sip. We can edit this. Absolutely. This out. That's that's the nice thing of the uh, <laughs> uh, uh, doing it asynchronously, as we call it. Right. You can have a drink. Oh, for sure. <clears throat> All right, so shall we jump into the themes and thoughts on InsureTech next? Um, sure thing. All right. <clears throat> so Gartner estimates a jump in sales revenue from 105 billion to 141 billion in 2021. So they add that 73% of organizations will be using all or mostly SaaS solutions. Now, these are general insights covering most developed countries and adoption of SaaS at scale is undeniable. What are your anticipations and aspirations for InsureTech? Yeah, it's a great question. So I suppose one of the things I would say when I look at something like a question like this is I think you have to make quite a strong distinction between enterprise and consumer. Mm. Uh, and I think it's actually quite a, it's actually quite a um, important distinction because yeah. There is a difference in the value provided by building your own versus buying at enterprise mm. and consumer. And I think, you know, one of the things you're seeing, the emergence of SaaS uh, for consumers, it's hard to see SaaS just not continuing to grow just e explosively. Because, you know, downloading software, installing software, maintaining software is a pain. No one is excited by doing that. 
right? No, um, not know, at the, all. I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I'm a huge, huge fan, a massive technology technologist geek, yeah, through and through. Mm. That's what I am overall. But, you know, if you can give me a solution that runs in the browser and, you know, all I have to do to update it is refresh the page, you know, there are Beautiful. very few, pl- exactly, you know, there are very <laughs> few times I'm not going to pick that over something where I've got to install it. And, you know, we're seeing the emergence of amazing technology, you know, um, there's a company called Mighty. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're uh, yeah. uh, um, uh, amazing uh, software where they're trying to build a browser that runs in the cloud. I know that I'll leave that to, to to play with that kind of weird notion in your head of a browser running in the cloud. But, you know, their point is, their whole point is that what? the performance, the <laughs> most important software that runs on your computer is a browser. Yes. Right. And most of the applications that most people access on their day to day life you know, particularly if you use Google's technology stack, or maybe the better way of saying it is if you don't use, you know, very, very powerful um, uh, uh, software, you know, the likes of Photoshop or the likes of, uh, you know, your micro- the Microsoft stack to do your day-to-day life, you know, for, mm. for in your home life, most people spend 90% of their time in their browser. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think, exactly. Know, I, th- mm. I think, I think you can see, you know, so I, I'm going a slightly circuitous route to answer your question. I think you can see just <laughs> continue to see exclo- explosive growth, you know, uh, um, uh, in all areas. But, you know, in the in the um, consumer space, it just doesn't seem to me it's the, the logical conclusion at, at this point. You know, everything goes in cycles, but it's going to be computing done at the edge or done in the cloud. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, f- uh, and SaaS just dominates that. When you go over to enterprise, I think the answer is not quite is not quite as straightforward. And you know, this is one of the things that I learned firsthand because our our proposition is SaaS only. We don't have any on-prem, any private cloud, any alternative deployments. You access our entire, and it's an enterprise-grade platform, right? There's fifty going to be fifty billion dollars of premium, um, is from our clients. Uh, well. Our clients will have fifty billion dollars of premium that that we in the long term hope, you know, if we didn't sign any other clients but the ones we have now, we would hope to try and get as much of that fifty billion dollars onto our platform. So it's a serious enterprise grade platform, but mm. it's mm. pure SaaS. Um, yeah. But one of the things I realised is, if you're an in, an, an uh, enterprise company, you're having to wire together a huge amount of technology to. For the end-to-end workflow of a financial professional in a, you know, a fintech more broadly, insurtech being a, a clear subset of that. So mm. I think, you know, I think we're going to see adoption of SaaS at scale, but I don't think it precludes lots and lots of really important work that's non-SaaS being done in any in any tech, you know, whether it's mm. fintech, mm. you know, it's, you know, uh, insurtech, uh, anywhere else. Um, what are my uh, uh, aspirations uh, for it? You know, one thing I would really hope, I, I, you know, insurance is undeniably perceived as utterly boring, mm. right? And, you know, the one thing I'd say is I thought that too, till I fluke, flukely, like no one, you know, when, <laughs> when you know, when I talk, my, my daughter's 18 months and so she can only say 50 words or so, but, you know, I'm pretty sure when she's five or six, she's not going to say, you know, daddy, what I want to do, I want to go work in insurance. She's probably going to want to be a rally driver <laughs> or, you know, I hope yes. she'll be a software engineer. But I suppose my... I really hope, and my good friend Nigel Walsh, who's the managing director of Google, uh, managing director of insurance at Google, he says, I hope we can make people realize that actually insurance, you know, uh, there are no uh, rocket launches without insurance. Yeah, there are Mm. no skyscrapers without insurance. Yeah, you know, there are lots Mm. of things. Mm. You'd be amazed. There are, are you know, a a large number of sporting events and and concerts that don't happen without insurance. And, and, you know, what I really hope 
you know i really really hope that um uh, in that insurtech can can accelerate and make all of those things ultimately insurance is about trans- tra- controlling risk and managing risk i hope insurtech allows us to take more risk in life and us to do far more risky exciting interesting things because you know with risk comes reward and i know that's a mm. probably a poetic mm. thing as a startup founder to state uh, but you know insurance is one of those um, mechanisms for allowing people to take more risk mm. and what i hope insurtech does is it allows us to kind of democratize the the, the taking of risk and for there to be far far more yes. Yes. Uh, uh, you know more ambition in the world and again, that's probably a very lofty thing to say but i wouldn't be a startup founder if i no. didn't have big ambitions i totally agree with you because it's insurance is another facet to financial inclusion i think where yes, yes you can you know have a smartphone in the middle of a rural area and you have access to financial services and you can accumulate wealth you can get a loan you can start a business but if you can't protect what you've built then essentially what's it all been for and i think this this is a way we can roll it out yeah mm. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, 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 you absolutely hit the nail on the head. You know, you look at companies like Lemonade and other companies, you know, <clears throat> they are trying to just make it easier for you to protect your things, mm. right? And as you've just said there, yeah, I, I think your framing of it, financial inclusion is such a great thing because, you know, the, the more you have, the more you have to lose. And that's not just, you yes. know, that's not necessarily, mm. uh, you know, that, that that's a material way of looking at the world. And there are many things, mm. you know, the probably the most important things in life are things that you, you that aren't, that, that you can't lose physically. But mm. I think, of course, you know, you can't, mm. you, yeah, I think it comes back to that point that you can't take risk. Uh, uh, you can't take unlimited risk in life. And that's where insurance helps. Definitely. We started PCN 12 years ago with a view to serving the fintech community from a growth perspective. Since 2008, PCN has helped household names in fintech as well as the largest global merchants grow with the best talent who have specific financial technology experience. If you are a VC with a portfolio of fintech businesses, a scale-up looking to hire the best talent, or a merchant looking to hire a head of payments or an entire payments team, get in touch today for a no-obligation consultation on how PCN can help you accomplish your hiring goals. So what's on the horizon for Hyper Exponential then? Yeah, so we're growing massively, uh, absolutely mm. massively. We've got um, uh, huge ambitions. We've been had a really great run. We've been broadly running as a bootstrap business uh, for the last couple of years, took a small funding round at, uh, uh, to start ourselves off and ended up not really needing it because we ended up becoming profitable very quickly, which is not fashionable well, or common for a fintech a startup. Well, I congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I'll be very open with you. It turns out if you've got very, very, very high hiring standards, uh, it's uh, uh, it's easier to be, become profitable than for sure. Uh, than Surround yourself by the right people, right? Yeah, <laughs> saying exactly. more it just turns out it's, <laughs> Yeah, it's very true. It just turns out it's very hard to find those people, uh, oh, which has certainly helped us. <laughs> um, so yeah, lots and lots uh, uh, going there. You know, uh, we're doing lots of hiring. That's the first thing we'd say. So anyone who mm. is fascinated by the intersection between data and technology, and you know, we specialize in the weird and wonderful data sets that we think makes up most of the world's data. Yeah, everyone talks mm. about big data. That's the sexy mm. bit. But you know, the reality <laughs> is wrangling those awkward data sets I talked about at the beginning is one of the most interesting challenges in the world. And we believe it has broad spectrum of applications. So hiring, um, yeah, lots and lots on the horizon. The other big exciting announcement we have is that we've just closed a Series A funding round. Oh, so, congratulations. Um, 
Thank you. Yeah, so we haven't been venture-backed, uh, but we've been growing very fast out of our retained earnings. And actually, one of the things that we realized was building a really great business, which is what we've done. Um, we, we need the right partners, the right advisors, the right network of people, as well as the funding. Um, so while the funding was less of a priority than finding the right people, the network, uh, uh, and you know the people who are going to follow us on the journey as we grow, uh, we're really, really delighted um, I've closed a Series A with Highland Europe, uh, one of Europe's leading growth uh, growth stage uh, venture funds, uh, and we're super excited. So you can expect to see a huge uh, growth in the team, growth in you know the uh, applications of our product across you know various parts of the insurance sector. And again, as I said, I'm sorry, I'm such a startup founder. We really are hiring in every every possible way. Uh, so if you're interested. That's uh, uh, come and check us out, hyperexponential.com. There's only one hyperexponential, uh, uh, and if you can spell it, you'll find us. <laughs> Wonderful. Now I'll be coming towards the end, and I'd love to cover your Startup Dads podcast. So Amrit is a proud father and the host of Startup Dads, a show navigating the highs and lows of running a business whilst also raising children, along with expert guests from the startup world. So could you please tell us some more? Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. So uh, so I'm I'm blessed, you know, with my my I've got two babies. One's far more important than the other. I've got HX. Three, th- HX is three years old. You know, it's coming out of its toddler uh, stage now. Uh, it's still uh, still early days, but uh, uh, you know, I think mm. we can see uh, where it's going. And then I've got oh. Evie, my daughter. She's 18 months old, and she's my oh, most important sweet. startup. Basically, yeah. Thank yeah. you. So, um, so to cut a long story short, you know, uh, when we found out that uh, we were expecting, I did what all technologists uh, and geeks do is I went on YouTube, Reddit, and I looked for podcasts on how to be a great mm. dad. Uh, mm. And, you know, mm. uh, I, uh, I realized that there are lots of podcasts on fatherhood. But, you know, when you run a your business yourself, your work mm. is an inextricable part of your life. And actually, yeah. it's really different. Mm. You know, I love my job. I'll, I'll be straight. Like, I don't have enough no- hours in the day to do all the things I love, right? Um, mm. And I never mm. have done. I think it's a re- reasonably characteristic uh, uh, a trait of founders. But I think uh, I wanted to to, to uh, pr- I wanted to explore the intersection between family life and startup life because there are a mm. huge number of things that are have in common. You know, these are two growth, high growth <laughs> Uh, high growth aspects of your life you know it's Mm. a really funny metaphor i suppose but you know Mm. there's lots of crossovers between you know what's got you here won't get you there learning to deal with uncertainty dealing with you know the really great surprises and the really not so great surprises so i wanted to explore this Mm. Uh, mm. And I couldn't find anything, so I did what startup. I couldn't find anything that uh, uh, that met the needs, uh, uh, that met, met what I was looking for. So I did what startup oh. founders do, and I built one. Yes, you made it yourself, of course. Exactly. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Amrit, thanks a lot for being on the show. It was fantastic to have you. Oh, thank you and, so much for having me. And to our audience, thank you for joining us for another episode of InCheck with Fintech. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast platform. And we'll see you next week with a fresh episode.